all of that was spun from me discovering that essay at the beginning of my career and understanding that this whole thing of content marketing isn't just like problem solution content it's about how do i build an audience how do i like get people's attention how do i think you know i remember even thinking about like search in this way of like it's not someone goes to search search is just the same thing as them turning on the tv it's what they're paying attention to like and if you in mm -hmm. the whole like what google wants mentality the reason that that's such a fallacy is what google wants is what your customer wants and if you just focus on what your customer wants you two birds one stone you know <laughs> like yes yeah anyways yeah you kind of yeah. really got right. me riled up here yeah. <laughs> welcome back to the content that grows podcast today i'm excited to be joined by ronnie higgins he's the director of content at open phone and has worked for prominent brands such as Hopin, Udemy, and Eventbrite. Uh, he brings nearly two decades of, ex of two decades of experience in marketing and content, which includes in-house leadership roles uh, in advising and consulting. Ronnie, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to dig in. You have a lot of experience. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about just how the world of of B2B content, content marketing, all of that is evolving. Um, and so, you know, just jumping right in, uh, I know when you kind of first proposed a uh, topic for our discussion, um, you started with kind of like this, it's the end of B2B content marketing as we know it, dot, 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 and I feel fine. Uh, so maybe you kind of just start there and elaborate on that. Yeah. So to understand the context of this is to understand that like when I first started in content marketing when it first started to become a thing. Uh, Marketo was like championing it. Uh, HubSpot was championing it. There was this like playbook mm -hmm. and that playbook worked like gangbusters when you were a first mover. It was like it, it was proving that it was like content marketing was the new marketing because, you know, people were using Google to find solutions and you, it wasn't just like, oh, I need to make sure that my website and descriptions of my product or service were search optimized. I needed to right. publish content that proved that I understood the problems that my customer had. And yeah. to like, you know, the, the way I describe it is like, and it was literally like, I remember this like a vivid story of publishing something on a Tuesday afternoon and seeing it rank top of search results on Wednesday morning, like it was yep. that easy. And even then I wasn't, there were no SEO tools. Like I, no one was like using clear scope or no one was like, right. even right. if there were some of the tools like hrefs and stuff, like they were very like basic back then. And yep. there was like, you know, all of that worked. And then immediately what happened was everyone started to come in and start copying everybody. <laughs> Uh, this was like the copycat crisis that Ryan Law has like talked about or coined. And, you know, that was fine. It was competing. Like that kind of happens with products too. Uh, and then fast forward to today, like we're still relying on that same playbook that's like a decade old. Yeah. Yet 
new platforms have emerged uh we are you know privacy is now like such a huge thing like yeah i remember facebook back then i could say all right let me look at all of the people on my page and what do they like and i can get like so much data out of facebook back then and they locked that stuff up about four or five years ago yep and so there's that then there's like back to the privacy a lot of people don't know that your seo tools are based on clickstream data and if you have people who have ad blockers and stuff like that it's starting to like make that data less and less reliable so that you might punch something in that you know your customers are searching for but it shows zero search volume on yep. like Ahrefs or SEMrush. And so like there's that. Uh, there's people who are not all like homogenized onto like four or five platforms. They're now spread across the internet. They're decentralized. Yep. And all of those platforms that used to send troves of traffic now want you to pay a premium for it. Yet everybody is still doing the same thing maybe they've like launched a podcast or they're doing some video series but they're not really like trying to do anything different there they're just doing whatever it is a competitor's done or what they've seen other marketers do and so i'm watching the stagnation of b2b content marketing at the uh, run in parallel with content marketers who have been recently laid off or just jumping ship or just up and coming people instead of becoming content marketers just going the creator route and they are building audiences like just really trusted audiences and they're charging brands premium to access it the same way facebook and google and linkedin charge a premium and so i feel like if we do not if b2b content marketing does not address these like elephants in the room like i don't think i'm gonna have a job like in the future (laughs) like even me like i think there's just not gonna be much of content marketing in the future other than like executives saying like oh we need seo and doing some like product aware uh problem aware stuff and sure content is much more than that yep and that's why i feel fine because i feel like (laughs) something's gonna give and eventually there's gonna be a movement towards that but when i'm not sure yeah so let's unpack that a little bit um i one of the things you mentioned uh whether or not it was good sort of this like golden era of um, you know, you mentioned like the, uh, all the Facebook audience data and like who's on your page, all that stuff. Um, that was still the same era as like, you actually saw actual search terms in Google analytics, things like that. So like the amount of data became just ballooned to such a level that you could get granular insights. You could do all kinds of stuff. And then it's sort of been on that like decline and I think kind of declining precipitously now with like you said, sort of the cookie policies and uh, clickstream data, and a lot of that stuff. I recently posted along those same lines that like there's, I think the most painful part of that aspect of what you're talking about is going to be the fact that 
the majority of people who are now founders, CEOs, C-level people, VPs of marketing are at a point in their career where like this is all they've known was the mm. quote unquote golden era. And it's that's what's causing like, a lot of the challenges around like, well, but why would we invest in it if we don't know it's going to work or, you know, some of those areas that I think are challenging. So um, I totally agree like the the evolution and how it's kind of moved uh, from, you know, wide open spaces from early days of HubSpot and, and kind of like the initial, you know, blogging for business concept. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. Cause like, even to me content, like a lot of people like still think of B2B content, the, the default is still blogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think that in the last few years, we've really branched out to much more back into a lot of podcasts, video, like much more unique social stuff episodic content like a lot of different things so do you think um all of that like are you saying kind of like you think all of that is going to die eventually because of the the rise in like the creator side or is it more of just like the the connection of investing in content marketing for b2b because you historically could see a clear roi but now it's harder which do you think is it both is it one or the other I think, so, I'm being pithy, and I'm being (laughs) absolutist in this, but, like, when I'm saying that, like, it's the death of B2B marketing, or B2B content marketing, I'm mostly saying, like, it's still going to exist, it's still going to be a thing, but uh, I'm trying to think of how much it is. There was... um, I'm trying to remember how much it, the um so like the I'm trying to remember who wrote it. There was this article uh I gotta find where it actually talked about um humanity generates three hundred like seventy five billion gigabytes of data per day. And if you think yeah. of that as like a most of that is content, even if it's just like grandma's like Facebook post. Sure. Like yep. all of that per day is trying to compete for the 10 hours of media like the average person consumes every day. Right. And if everybody's like competing against everybody, not just you and your like direct product service competitors, but like I think the realization of all of this came to me when I went to uh, Udemy and was like, okay, so the topics that we're trying to rank for are also the topics that are at the top of search results are Harvard Business Review, Forbes, things like that. So you're you're going up against um, major publications, and then you had the rise yeah. of like the creator economy, and now you're competing for the attention of some really smart eighteen year old who just started to do a TikTok on like whatever it was your topic that you're trying to be a dominant authority on. Yep. And so I think right now, like the landscape is changing. And I think that there may still be an investment in content marketing, but its dominance as the like essence of marketing. I think like we're, we're like sort of uh, forfeiting that power over to individual creators now. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot there. Um, so when you when you kind of think about it that way, as creators, uh, obviously, like kind of collectively being a new platform, but obviously each of them having their own. Do you do you have any way that, like any sort of distinction between kind of what we traditionally understood as like influencers or like mm. even B two B influencers versus like creators? Um, yeah. I've ignored the debate on influencer versus creator because there is creators who aren't influencers and there are right. influencers that are sort of creators. Uh, I it's no it's not a well kept secret that a lot of influencers like in a certain space like a a niche like business influencer that reviews like products or says like this is their favorite product. They're really just getting paid to say that a lot of times, right. but they don't. So like that's an influencer who's they might create a report or have a blog and they'll say like, this is my favorite software, but that's they're not really doing much in terms of like what is yeah. being considered now a creator. But creators have influence. I mean, I think the difference right. is, is yeah. that they are building a platform like a media platform they'll call themselves a media company and I guess they are if they even if they have just a newsletter um, but it's that essence of they are publishing content regularly they've built a brand of content they're a content brand not just a personal brand right uh, but there's too much gray area to like put a definition because I feel like whatever I say just going to open up debate uh, yeah yeah that that, i'm not that worried about yeah i i agree i i wanted to ask just to i think there are a lot of because they're so close and there's some overlaps and um and whatnot i i wanted to ask because i think i wanted to make sure people weren't sort of dismissing it as like oh well you know my business doesn't work with influencers or whatever like uh treating it synonymously because i do think they're there's a difference there. Um, so how do you, how do you think about, I mean, just you join a new company, you know, and they're like, well, we want, you know, we want to grow with content. We want to do that. Like, how do you think about building a new plan or, or even making a recommendation, you know, on like a, this is what we should do over the next few years in light of some of the, the way things are evolving. Like walk me through some of your thoughts there. Uh, so, I'm at OpenPhone right now, and OpenPhone is a uh, business uh, business phone solution for small businesses in the United States and Canada. Uh, to make that a little bit more concrete, if you started a business today, uh, you either use your personal phone, which is a big mistake, or you go to the Verizon store or AT&T store, get a second phone, which costs an arm and a leg, and you carry around two phones, or you download an app to your personal phone and sign up through open phone and get a second phone number. And then of course, uh, we're geared towards teams. So then you can have all of your phone numbers uh, for your entire organization all under one app with all the like it's like a little mini CRM on the background mm-hmm. uh, so you're able to like kind of like manage your contacts and business and because we integrate with CRMs you can also do that too um, when 
So I had been advising OpenPhone's founders for a while while I was at Hopin, and I was trying to help them fill this role. Uh, and then when I got laid off at Hopin in July of 22, they were like, well, do you want to throw your name in the hat? And I said, sure. I, I know the business. I know it well. Yeah. Uh, but back then, this was when zero percent interest rates were still a thing and <laughs> yeah you know the economy while it was still shaky from uh covid in the pandemic it was starting to feel like there was like a rebound and so i went into this job thinking um you know things were going to kind of stay the same and that they had had a very strong uh seo presence they had done really well with content already. Like the team that I inherited was like really doing really well, driving mm-hmm. like pretty much putting the business on the map essentially. Um, and then, if I can curse, hit the fan. Uh, everything yeah. changed around October last year. Then there was just like lots of volatility through Q4 because that's always like for a lot of SaaS businesses and for small businesses when things slow down. And so it wasn't until about spring this year that I started to actually think about, okay, what is the actual like long-term strategy? And um, what I did was I let SEO continue to be the dominant like part of our strategy. I would say SEO and focusing on winning and earnings uh, uh, in the SERPs was like 70 to 80% of our content strategy. And then um, as I let those, the performance there uh, sort of uh, build up and measure that, monitor it, what I started to do was uh, take the search content to a whole nother level. So I still didn't try to diversify. Uh, What I tried to do was improve the the value that we were providing through the content that was targeting search because um, what we were running into were writers who had become accustomed to writing something like going into clear scope and like rewriting all the other content. Uh, And I come from a film broadcasting background where everything is about the consumption experience like when you go to film school they teach you you need to have an inciting incident in the first 15 minutes you need to have this here you need to keep people engaged and that's why people sit in a theater for two hours and don't complain so long-form content is not dead uh but (laughs) essentially like what i did was like i started to see the uh writing on the wall with uh ai and how it wasn't just about having clear, easy to read writing or good writing, which is a subjective term, but uh, well-written content was now like effortless. And so I needed to ensure that the content had novel ideas. It had, uh, it provided just value in so many different ways. So I started to build up um, a, I don't want to say like a roster of subject matter experts that my team can reach out to external mm-hmm. internal um, started to plan a content calendar that was like months out versus just what the next two weeks were going to be uh, yep. so we had more of a lead time and what we've seen then is uh, while I still didn't diversify the content just in SEO we've seen our competitors have like 
I don't know if you've paid attention to like all the Google algorithm updates, they've been like left and right kind of yep. makes us old folks, us, you know, nostalgic for the days of like Panda when you knew something was coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, the volatility, like we've survived it. We've not just survived it. Mm. We've thrived in the volatility of the last year because I have, worked with the team to make sure that we're not just like here's the topic I wrote about the topic I got the keywords that ClearScope said and I got the score it's like no like when you you know you understood the search intent um our yep. briefs have this like what's the begin state when someone is reading this content what's not just like why are they searching for it or what's their search intent but like how are they feeling about this what's frustrating them yep. And then yep. there's the end state where it's like, okay, they've read this thing. Now what have they gained? So I've treated, trained my team to think of the our audience as the protagonist in a story who starts the story in one state and ends it in another. Um, yep. And so you can look at our um, competitors and they're either teetering along and then there's even some of them that are just dropping in terms of their organic mm -hmm. traffic while ours is the only one going up and to the right uh yep. now how that has like when i think about the looming like issues that we were just talking about of the still using the old playbook i was like i need to start putting uh planting the seeds and championing for a shakeup of our content strategy and so that is very recently started to be implemented. So instead of our SEO, like purely SEO focused strategy being 70 to 80% of the strategy, it is now maybe 10, 20% of the strategy. Doesn't mean that SEO is not part of the rest of it. It's inf like right. search informs yeah. But we are also looking at social signals. We're also looking at, um, uh, I mean, mainly social signals. So like using uh, SparkToro, but, uh, BuzzSumo, a few other tools to sort of like gather different inputs. We're monitoring all these different subreddits, uh, Quora, all kind of places to like build up the inputs. Uh, we're yep. focusing on content pillars, which is an old school tactic. A lot of SEOs will say, you mean clusters? And I mean, no, that's what the <laughs> SEO world calls it. But the idea yeah. of building a deeper topic authority by dedicating a chunk of your content strategy to a single topic and going deeper into it or providing enough material to have like a three, even if it's just like the basics, it's like the basics, a kit, a tip sheet, a field guide things like that um yep in q4 so we're in a fiscal uh, uh calendar and as of recording it's mid-october so our q4 starts in november uh we're gonna have a live stream uh we're gonna call it the 411 so we're gonna do a monthly uh cool. series where it's like the 411 with open phone and each topic will be helping small businesses as they go into 2024 so we've been paying close attention to all the biggest problems and trends that are top of mind and I'm gathering panel of customers and experts and thought leaders to discuss those so first is yeah uh, cool. small business want to know about AI they want to understand they're like I know I believe it will help my business but I don't know anything 
where do I start? Mm -hmm. How do I do it? What's where do I focus? Because there's just so much information. And so being able to take all of that information and whittle it down for what's important to the specific audience. Uh, on top of that, running a contributor pilot. Uh, uh, so like uh, having people who like guest post, but a little bit more sophisticated than that. So reaching out yeah. to experts who have uh, backgrounds in customer communication, customer engagement, who have like helped major companies and helping them distill their learnings for less uh, smaller enterprises like small businesses uh, and then of course video like I'm uh, we've taken we've looked at uh, an analysis of YouTube to figure out where are some gaps that we can fill up there and mm -hmm. I'm gonna start looking around for uh, building out a sort of like YouTube strategy there so how do we start to like build out that channel and not think so much of the blog as our our platform but how do we now play in multiple different places uh, which yeah. is also to tie back to the webinar uh, not webinar but the live stream like so that's gonna live stream to YouTube and uh, LinkedIn yeah awesome I appreciate you going pretty deep on that and kind of walking through even to sort of how you came to open phone totally agree 0% interest era shift Q4 of 22 was painful for pretty much all of SAS. Um, I think the important overarching takeaway that I have from what you just said is it's not like you, you like your opening statements, I think are pretty bullish, but like you didn't just, you know, pull the handbrake and, and like totally go a different direction. Like you just said, here's what's working. We think, you know, we can keep maintaining that, keep growing on the SEO side, but decrease the prominence and in, in like bandwidth it takes from our team and like investment and still keep that going. But now start to diversify, move into other content formats, other types of things, uh, which I think is, you know, is the smart way to do that. Um, we have a lot of, uh, great examples from our clients where the the richness of an overall piece of content uh, when you do get the SME, but then also have you know a podcast clip or a video clip that you can pull into that post to have you know much more context and robustness than just like you said, sort of churning something out from from the uh, clear scope data. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do want to go back. I know you mentioned sort of the copycat crisis or whatever. And I think, you know, that definitely became a bigger thing kind of in the late teens, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, then I, I truly believe it exploded with the amount of people that just became armed with Ahrefs or, or SEMrush and ClearScope and just like churned it out and then it's like exploding again because now you just do that with AI mm -hmm. and there's a number of those you know SEO surfer and all those just sort of pull it into one and like crank it out and it's like that that's where you're really like it's just getting worse and worse like everyone's been aware of this idea of copycat for yeah. for many years at this point but the the tools I think are are just funneling it so much more in that direction um so 
as you, the other thing I wanted to comment on there, as you're shifting, you're working with leaders, you're going to do the live stream, going to invest in uh, video, a couple of other areas. Can you just briefly touch on like how, how that conversation's evolving around measurement and like mm -hmm. knowing what's working? Because obviously that, again, kind of going back to, we've had all these staples and, you know, the ROI of this and, and that. And so now you're talking about decreasing in trackability and, and some of that stuff at the same time that you're investing in new channels. Uh, something that'd be interesting to hear about that. I have been fortunate enough to um, know and work with a lot of smart people who have armed me with the, the like knowledge and tools to have this conversation. I'd say starting back from the very beginning of my content career, Erica Keller, who's at Facebook now, I think she's director of content operations, uh, all the way to cool. Michael Hirschman, Micah Hirschman and uh, Margaret Jones at Eventbrite and just like long story short is the the mindset of measurement that I think we were talking about that people have fallen into when, when there was lots of data was this like someone searches something, opens an email, visits site, fills out form or signs up for product and money gets printed. And <laughs> as the what we've learned, and I think um, this is something that a lot of people are finally starting to talk about, like Rand Fishkin's one of the people who started talking about it a long time ago. And now I believe we're seeing more and more people talk about it that like the um, we've sort of found that like the the metrics that we used to believe actually are not painting the right picture. Um, and that, uh, like, I think the analogy that, or story, I think that Rand Fishkin had told that really made it click for me was this like pizza place that had handed out, um, had gotten, uh, I don't know what they're called, but people to go hand out like coupons to people. Yeah. And, um, there was this one person that had um, handed out the most coupons and he was like, they were wondering, like the pizza owner was wondering what their success was and eventually followed the guy and found out he was actually handing coupons out, like almost like right outside the pizza uh, restaurant. And so it's this idea that like marketing attribution, we're starting to learn like the way we were thinking about it is not as straightforward as it used to be. And so when I, I talk to people, leaders or anybody about attribution, I first want to understand, like, how do they understand it? Do they have that mentality that what they were told by Google Analytics or what they were told by some marketing attribution system that was set up is, you know, definitive? Uh, and if so, then under like having that conversation and like helping them see versus me tell them uh, that it's not <laughs> as straightforward as it may seem. And then being able to like go into this thing that I like describe as uh, it's almost like astrophysics, but I won't go into that. But just think of like gravity and having people around you and in your orbit. And so um I think it was Gartner found that 
95% of the time, the average B2B buyer is not in market for whatever it is you're selling them. And so think of a business phone, like a, when it comes to a business phone, uh, the average cut, uh, business does not switch their provider that often. So someone who has already got, like who is on a competitor, is on like a multi-year contract. Um, yeah. When I think of attribution, it's like, okay, it's not just like, okay, someone signed up and gave us money. It's like, hey, even our competitors are like, just like salivating at the mouth to open up our emails. They're constantly coming to check out our content, engage with us on social media. And yep. that engagement over time, you can start to correlate to a drop in cost per acquisition. Uh, one of the ways that I'm able to to like help people better quali- uh, quantify that is by using the same metrics that paid and performance use of like in pay- cost per impression and cost per click. And I can do that with SERPs to say like, all right, how many people look in um, search uh, console and say, all right, it cost us like, you know, a couple thousand dollars to write that guide. Well, sure, like it seems crazy to say it costs $3,000 per click the second it's published, but after it hits like you know three thousand clicks, we then have a positive like a a, a return on our investment, yep. and so helping people understand that and helping people understand so it's like using the metrics and understanding that they know, but then using all of that to then say there's value in people constantly engaging and staying top of mind because they might not be in the market but when someone says hey what do you use for your business phone you know they might say oh we use competitor but i really like been paying attention to what this company open phone's been doing and that you can't attribute (laughs) it's just it's impossible it doesn't exist like it might come up in a sales call but it if you go and search gong for it cool but at the same time if they taught the sales that gets attributed to sales. So right. yep. it's it's leading this conversation and helping leaders who have been comfortable with the status quo of all the data in believing attribution models to understand that, you know, they're useful to sort of like have quick conversations and measure results and understand what's working, but they're not gospel um, and that you know, if you really want to have a sustainable business, you need to adapt and sort of like shift how you're thinking about it. Yep. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, especially just starting from a place of what they understand. Um, I think it's a really smart way to go about it. And it, you know, I think there are so many things, um, you know, for us, as we work with, you know, a lot of SaaS companies, our goal, like you said, is like optimized content or like understanding what the opportunity is and like, yes, optimized, but like going those those steps further and having like, you know, a good point to the topic and understanding the, the, the person who's reading it, what their pain point is, having good SME input, like all these things to the point where it also just, I think... It, a lot of uh, SEO and just in general, just like the channels, like in the, you know, mid 2010s, I think there was just a lot of like silos, you know, it was like, 
oh, well, this is SEO content and it's it's only built to rank and it ranks and it gets us traffic. And this is PR and this is mm. you know events and this is paid search and this is paid social. And I do think that there's a lot of things that have kind of come together and blurred. And so for us, it's like, even just from an ROI standpoint, it's not how much did it, this post cost to create and how much revenue is it generating? It's we can use it to build our social audience, we can build trust, we can build awareness, you know, all these things that kind of come through. And then, like you said, I can't tell you how many times we talked to people when I was at Sprout Social who would be like, yay, I just became a customer. I've, you know, I was at my last job and we used whatever, Hootsuite or Buffer or any, any tool. And they're like, I just, I got a new job and I was so excited. I got to recommend and use you, you know, and you're like, okay, well that came in direct and, you know, converted really fast. Uh, and you can't possibly attach all of the things that went into that, uh, ahead of time. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just, like I said, it's, it's that change is happening, I think faster and faster, uh, with cookie policies and, and all that stuff that I don't think the conversation is as much around like chasing these perfect multi-attribution, multi-touch attribution models and things like that anymore. Uh, just really kind of understanding how it works together. Um, mm -hmm. So real quick, I want to touch on this before we head into the, like the final four questions we have for, ask everybody. Um, I guess give me a little bit of your thought on like the, um, affordability and sustainability aspect for, you know, content teams building their own audience. I mean, at the end of the day, the affordability, sustainability boils down to how much money, you know, um, it's about the cost of acquisition and how and cost of retention of a customer. And if there's even though it's like hard to attribute like the exact dollar amount of to down to like a single customer i believe that if you have like if your customers and uh are like let's just imagine this like you have customers who just devour your content they you've built a content brand that even your customers are just like constantly reading and engaging with you should be able to look at um you know, build some type of attribution that um, helps you delineate between customers who consume content and customers who don't, and look at the attrition rate of those. You should be able to look at, you know, customers who came through paid channels uh, versus like spent a year consuming your content. And um, there's ways to do that in building out those models to start to build like, not some like very easy statement of like, this generated this much money, but correlations on um, those things that lower the cost of acquisition. Um, and that, you know, people who do this, who consume your content, are they more likely to recommend you? What's their NPS score uh, compared? Yep. So there's, there's things that you can do. And I don't have a prescription right now because I, I think we're too small of a team to do a lot of those things right now. But with the right resources, those are the ideas that I would be putting in place to go and prove to a marketing leader or a, a CEO that this organic 
approach to building an own audience has pays dividends. Um, yeah. Cause the other thing too is like, I shared the example earlier of like a piece of content cost $2,000 to put together. Well, when you go to like refresh that piece of content in a year it might cost 20 bucks, hundred bucks. And so it, but if you say you needed to go sponsor a creator, it costs you $2,000 today and it'll cost you $2,000 in a year. It might even cost you 4,000. Like, yeah. so, yep. um, that's where it's I the amortization, mm-hmm. the amortization of the, of the cost and yeah. It's, it's an investment yeah. and that's why i always tell people like you know yes your product or service is your product but you need to treat content like a product it's the yep. freemium thing that people are testing out before they actually hand over their credit card yep i agree completely uh that's a great place to end it uh for that part and we'll shift over real quick and just want to ask you the same Four questions we ask all of our guests. Um, first one being, you know, what's a recent success or learning you'd like to share? I think a recent success for us is we finally hired a VP of marketing in spring of this year. Uh, up until then, myself and a few of the other marketers were reporting directly to one of the founders. And she's definitely knows like a lot about marketing, but she hadn't had like all of the experience that, you know, our VP uh, of marketing does. And since he's been here, like a lot of things are coalescing, like we're less in silos, we're starting to be more collaborative. And I see that in the way our social, our content is like showing up in social. So instead of our content just, you know, our social lead just publishing like a pithy little comment link in uh, comments. Uh, she's working with our design team to like redo some stuff. Our producers are flagging pieces of con like wearing con- the a piece of content is an opportunity for her to, to reshape it and put it there. And so yeah. we're just seeing a lot of like engagement. We recently grew our LinkedIn uh, and hit our like seeded our goals for that, all because of that collaboration and working together. Yeah. And awesome. I think as we go into uh, twenty twenty four fiscal year twenty five for us, like I'm excited about how that's just going to continue to grow. And that win I think is where that organic strategy that's already been working with SEO, we'll start to see it compound even more because we're keeping people in our orbit. And you can imagine like, as we grow out YouTube, it's just gonna like keep growing from there. And I feel like that's just the foundation for everything that's gonna happen next year. Yeah, awesome. Um, For your company, what role does content play in overall strategy? I think we've (laughs) kind of already touched on it a bit, but I'll yeah, let you yeah, yeah. kind of add anything you want to I add I mean, there. the simple thing is, is like content is the messaging. It's, um, a lot of people think of content as like, oh, I just need to like tackle some topics and stuff like that. But it's really how you earn trust. There's a recent study yeah. that um, came out that I'm already forgetting who did it. Uh, it was in Tracy Wallace's recent newsletter, The Contentment. Uh, but agency just put it out and it talked about B2B buyers. They don't trust content from software companies. Oh, yeah, that's and, from Nigel. 
Oh yeah, Nigel yeah, with Joel. Nigel, yeah. Ah, I told yeah. him I owe him a beer because he like proved something that I've been saying. Uh, <laughs> but like, you just need to think of like, what is the message that I need people to understand? Like positioning stuff. But from there, the content then takes your product positioning and brings it to life further out. So if you think about product awareness stages, someone who knows a lot about your product is most aware, knows about your product is product aware, doesn't know about your product is solution aware, then doesn't have know about solution problem, problem aware. And up the funnel is where you start to earn trust by helping people understand that you understand them, their problems, their situations, and you use that exchange of value as an opportunity to let them know about your product and you don't need to sell. I mean, I right. think when I presented this whole strategy to open phone back at the beginning of the year, I said, this is not a new strategy. Like this is like a century or more old, like, uh, what was it? John Deere, um, with the furrow, a magazine way before the freaking post office existed, they needed a way to like reach farmers. So they created a magazine. Yeah. And that magazine was not a freaking product catalog. That magazine was stories about other farmers, tips, tricks. And by the way, there were some ads for the new tractors. I yep. mean, yep. that's what content marketing, the role it plays at OpenPhone and anywhere else I work is like, it'll always be that. So even if I'm somewhere building some, a, building a media company, I cannot build a media company the way people are thinking of like entertainment, fun stuff without building that revenue engine first. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how does your company define success for you and your team? We talked about this a little bit. It's kind of this evolving, you know, there, but kind of how does that work today? Are you MRR or what yeah. are you at? Uh, MRR and ARR, our biggest goal is organic traffic. So, uh, so the okay. uh, other like down funnel metrics are shared across multiple teams. But if there's anything that yep. is like solely our team is organic traffic. And then that gets split up into different things. Like, are we compounding the traffic with return visitors or is it all net new? Are they engaged? How many, you know, how much stuff are they consuming? Cause if someone comes to the website for a minute and bounces and never comes back, that's a waste of effort. But if they come, they spend a few minutes, they read a few pages, that's three, four times we had to position the company. And so that's our biggest metric, but we always look at trial starts and then um, did they then convert after the trial? And then what was the MRR, ARR after that? Awesome. And then uh, lastly, what's your least favorite marketing conversation happening in social channels right now and why? You know, I've been thinking about this too, one. Too many? <laughs> well, it's not too many. Um, I think every, I think my, my, my least favorite conversation right now is probably just complaining about Twitter um, I mean, I complain about it probably personally because Twitter was like, I was just, I feel like posting on LinkedIn always feels like work and I don't mean like effort or work. I mean, like it still feels like it doesn't feel like corporate. Yeah. It's like, I'm still on the job <laughs> and yeah. 
I think I've like disassociated my personal life with it and so Twitter was always this like fun like place I could talk about pop culture and everything and now that that's gone I feel like a hole is left open in my life but there's lots of people who just waste time talking about like that stuff and it's like I don't care like it happens I mean I was around way before any of this stuff existed in, in ICQ chats and whatnot so right yeah. It's always going to evolve and be something new. Um, but even then, like, I don't think it's like my least. I'm sure there's something there, but I think it's just like... Or actually, you know what? I think the my least favorite conversation right now is the whole media company thing. Um, because there's not enough people who are thinking about it like I do. Um, and because I'm the only person it's like just drowned out by like this misconception that high production value equals value or hey it's mm-hmm. audio I've I'm a media company and it's like right. dude there read Marshall McCollins the medium is the message and learn read a book called Out on the Wire and you'll realize like that like your podcast sucks <laughs> like <laughs> like you'll realize like there are things that are there are weaknesses and stre- strengths and weaknesses of different mediums and that you need to truly understand those in the visual language of film and video to make more informed decisions about your content like if you think about like before audio and video were uh as accessible as they are today and everybody was jumping into blogging and words, you had the grammar Nazis who were like, oh, you know, sentence case versus, like, uh, title case. Oh, should you use the Oxford comma? Like, you, those people who were militant about the art and craft of the written word are just checking boxes for audio-video. Man, we should have started with that. Oh, you want to keep going on it? Yeah, it's uh, it yeah. my gears. Yeah, we we can we can still put a bow on it in the next couple of minutes, but um, generally, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think that um, quality of production or just generally doing anything episodic slash quote binge worthy, uh, also seeming to classify as a media company. Um, and I, and I think a lot of it just seems to kind of be like a fun, new, exciting thing to, to mm-hmm. approach. Um, and it kind of reminds me of like the, um, there, like in, in my marketing career, there've been tendencies and, you know, just certain designers fare one way or the other, where it's like, are we trying to make this to do like achieve the business outcome or are we doing this like more as sort of an art expression and like just make this as as good as possible because we want it to be good and not like to accomplish the thing so i get a a bit of that feeling too of like oh this is something i can throw myself into and really you know run with it but not necessarily thinking like from like a you don't own like a PL and have to worry about EBITDA and like yeah, yeah, report yeah. to anyone on, on that aspect of like oh I guess I could have done half as much and focused it elsewhere and 
and accomplish the same business result. So um, I like that you said, you know, it starts for you with like, sort of what's that engine to generate the, mm-hmm. yeah, that. So when I was at Hopin, so Anthony Canada, who I'm sure everybody's like seen his stuff on LinkedIn everywhere about building media companies and own, he gets it like, and I can say that because yeah. he hired me at Hopin to do that. And the reason that we never got to the stage that I am talking about in terms of like a media company there was I spent the year that I was there building from scratch the revenue engine. So it was like, you need to have like that breadcrumb trail that connects back to your product and service. So the media company approach is all about how do I maintain and keep people's attention but eventually you need to convert that attention. So if yeah. I want to do, so I'm working on a personal project right now uh, that hopefully I'll have out before the end of the year called uh, Marketing Under the Influence. It was originally nice. a hopping idea. Like it was something I wanted to do and it is interviewing marketers about a piece of media that has had a tremendous amount of influence on their life. And it's a narrative interview, so it's not like this where my questions will be in there. It's them plus me telling the like narrative glue, like adding the narrative glue. And like yep. one of the stories about a woman who grew up as the like only Asian kid in rural Virginia who goes to, who's like struggling to like belong, who goes to a summer camp where they show Star Wars. And she's like, yeah, Star Wars was awesome but it was watching 300 kids go from strangers to best pals while watching a movie, I started to realize pop culture is how I make friends, how I build friendships and relationships and stuff like that. And I got a few other uh, interviews recorded. Now I'm getting, I'm gonna be working on getting a sponsor uh, once I have those episodes like buttoned up. But if I were to be doing that within a B2B context, like in-house, I would need to have some way to eventually get the people who are paying attention to that to experience the product, to become a customer. And the reason it was in uh, Hopin thing was we were going to be putting it out. We are going to be doing it on through Hopin and using the product. We were then going to yeah. show behind the scenes of how we were using like the product to do it, uh, using yep. StreamYard to record the, like, uh, the podcast and everything. So there are lots of like product tie-ins. So you just need to be thinking that. And it's one of the reasons I think the media company conversation like bothers me a lot is like, I'll see people doing some really cool creative stuff, but then I'm like, like, yeah, it's got your name on it, but yep. I don't get what you want me to do next. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or even attracting the right people. Oh, God, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it even gets that. So, yeah, which I think, you know, um, I mentioned before about, like, turning things to art. I think, like, the phrase I couldn't come up with at the time is, like, passion project. It's, like, this oh, yeah. is a perfect example of, like, you're not trying to shoehorn this into what you're doing at open phone and somehow make it work because you want to do it. It's a passion project, and you're just going to do it on the site because you're, you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think I totally agree there's a... A very, very big line between the two. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot to learn, I think, 
um, a lot of people too don't even know the origin of content is king and when I tell them they're like what like not the first person to say it but Bill Gates wrote the essay in 96 and I feel like anybody who did read it didn't finish reading the first sentence which says content is where I expect most of the real money to be made on the internet much like in broadcasting today and if you understand if you have a comms degree or if you know anything about mass communication you understand that we went from a handful of television stations to hundreds and when we went from a handful to hundreds it opened the door for an entire network of television dedicated to black people dedicate multiple channels dedicated to music um like hallmark has a freaking channel for god's sake like (laughs) right yeah and if you think of the internet creating infinite power laws like we talk a lot about the internet creating bubbles it's and we talk about how like oh like all the like you know bigots they're all on like they're you know in an echo chamber spewing hate there's also a good side to that where i and this is where my i'm why i'm doing that personal project is i have multiple of these like so i'm only going to do like limited series to prove out but i want to build a entertainment network for marketers and I believe that there's there's like a market for that now because marketers want to connect without having to like connect via content that's all about become like learning how to use AI to write titles. They don't like it doesn't have sure. to be done yeah. with their job, but there has to be some connection to marketing. And yeah. so I think, you know, all of that was spun from me discovering that essay at the beginning of my career and understanding that this whole thing of content marketing isn't just like problem solution content it's about how do i build an audience how do i like get people's attention how do i think you know i remember even thinking about like search in this way of like it's not someone goes to search search is just the same thing as them turning on the tv it's what they're paying attention to like and if you in the whole like what Google wants mentality, the reason that that's such a fallacy is what Google wants is what your customer wants. And if you just focus on what your customer wants, you two birds, one stone, you know, like, yes. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. You kind of yeah. really got oh, me I... riled up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I do. I do feel that I could probably go, you know, the rest of the afternoon, uh, <laughs> getting you know in and out of philosophical and and tactical and practical but um i think we'll go ahead and can wrap up there i i really appreciate the time ronnie it was a a great great time great discussion and uh hopefully we'll be able to continue it in the future awesome man feel free to use that part where i'm more passionate at the as the cold open get people yeah (laughs) (laughs) right on awesome thank you see you